0: Welcome to Creative Wally episode 46. My name's DK, the guy behind Creative Wally with my great partner John O Tucker from Empire Films. Big shout out to the video guy there because he creates the video version. You're listening to the audio version. And big thanks also to David at Flashdog Studios for hosting us. In this episode, we speak with Christine Langdon and Duncan Nimoy two amazing individuals and we cover off screen entertainment ai chat GDP, ethics creativity philanthropy corporate gifts given sustainability zen practices and so on and so forth i think you're really going to enjoy this so enjoy
1: in my closest friendships i i value the ones you'll call me on shit uh,
0: okay challenging you a little yeah, bit say dude what
1: was that okay yeah
0: Okay, we don't, all need that, don't right? Do, don't do that. Th- you no. Don't do that. What is yeah. that about? <laughs> yeah, okay.
1: Because it's hard to find people, right? Who yeah. will call you on shit and yeah. know people for a long time before they're, they're going gonna to do that for you. Yeah. But you can't float through life with everyone no. agreeing with you and, you know, glossing over shit, so. I
0: like that. Well a great one. Thanks yeah. for kicking us off, Duncan.
2: Yeah, and we're often too scared to call people on this shit in case it upsets them. So it takes some real courage and genuine friendship to be willing to yeah. call out the stuff that you need to hear. Yeah.
0: I agree. What about you then, Christine? Mm. What do you um, value?
2: So I value that. And then my initial reaction was also kind of the opposite as well, the the relentless support. Mm. I think that we all really need champions, the people who will always show up for us and care for us no matter what we're going through. And I value friends who will always be the supporter no matter what I'm going through. Yeah, fascinating, Mm. right.
0: Yeah, we need both angles there, Mm. both ends of the spectrum. What about you? I like those friends who just like pop up, you know, when they need to. They've they almost got like this Jedi mind trick thing of being there, right? And they'll mm. pop up and go, I, My spidey sensors were tingling. The last time we chatted, you mentioned that. Are you sure? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I like those people who kind of push a little bit further based yeah. on their own intuition of you. It's kind yeah. of a little bit in between both what kind you were saying. Lot. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But it's also real. Mm. I got people in my life who will, will just sort of pop up and say hey. Right. You know, I felt something. Yeah. Felt something in the in the psychosphere. What's going on? Yeah. You know. Mm.
0: There was a disturbance in the it's force. A, yeah. <laughs> and you need me. Yeah, yeah. And then It's uh, fascinating uh, be, that, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's something to be said about that connection that you have with people when you, and something about language and and tonality of when you talk to your friends is a different a cadence to it maybe and they pick up on some resonance things that are going on for you that you don't yeah, even yeah. understand yeah and uh, I had a phone call last night with a mate who I haven't spoken to her for like a good month and he said oh last time we spoke you said that really and I was, and I was like wow yeah that was a while ago and you still kind of mm-hmm. pick me up on it not pick me up in the challenger but just picked up on something mm-hmm. it's fascinating
2: there's a gift. I love those friends who can remember the things that you said last time mm-hmm. and remember to check in on the right day that yeah. you were having a challenging interview mm-hmm. or a challenging conversation or that they knew something was going on at work or in family and they know to get in touch on that day and check in. Yeah,
0: we like those humans mm. in our lives, definitely. Let's talk about kind of what you are getting up to in your lives a little bit so people who are watching and listening to this can kind of go, ah, oh, that's a human who does X if you were trapped in an elevator with someone for a couple of minutes, how would you kind of make them excited about what you do when they got into that kind of, not what you you do for a living, but what problems are you trying to solve in your life at the moment in the world of work? In the world of work. In the world of work first and then we get
1: personal. My life's weird at the moment. Mm. I mean, It's always been weird in a way. But um, so I I wrote a post on LinkedIn Mm -hmm. a few months ago saying I'm done. With the screen industry and entertainment you know it's Mm. been a great 20 years but i'm not feeling it anymore okay and um someone reached out to me from la and said well well, i know you're done but you know what say you to to helping uh a studio um make sense of ai Mm. production filmmaking and uh just work a contract for being part of a team that's thinking about that and guiding them in that so uh i've been doing that for the past three months and that's going to be ongoing uh and so as i'm living this weird life of sitting at my kitchen table and doing these deep dives into Mm. ai gpt it's really you know it's 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 uh, the way the way i've tried to describe it is you go down this tunnel of Weird abstractions, and you try and find the language for it because Mm. a lot of this stuff, you know, doesn't even have language around Mm. it yet. Fascinating, yeah. And then you sort of you realise that you've gone so far into the (laughs) (laughs) into the thing. Yeah, you got to come back and evaluate and go, "Whoa, you know, uh, how far can I reach back? Where where do I have to be to have conversations such that I just don't
0: sound insane?" So the translation. Of your experience, uh, what is I mean, the key bit that you're yeah. figuring out at the moment. Yeah, that's, that's a weird. squirrely problem. That's weird. <laughs>
1: it's so like AI is just weird, you know. You yes, mm.
0: and what it can produce does weird things. I'm only playing with Mid Journey at the moment. Right. and Mid Journey? You know, right. Okay, thank you. Um, Mid Journey is basically a, a text to image creator. Oh, that's yeah. just, That's the simplest way. So you write stuff in, text, and it creates a visual example of that textual prompt, it's called, you prompt it, yeah, to create it. That's the very basic version of it. Mm -hmm. However, the fidelity and the quality of the images that are being produced, if you know how to prompt it right, are quite stunning. And I haven't been dazzled for a very long time when it comes to technology and Back in the day, that was my field emerging tech, social media, online stuff. So I bounced around a lot of this stuff. And I've got to be honest, even ChatGTP was like, right, this is Google on drugs, right? And you still have to ask it the right question. It's like the boolean searches, you know, asking Google in the right way, like a plus and a instead of from that site in that file format. If you know how to do that, then ChatGTP is like the next step up. But it's mm. definitely bigger. But this text to image is quite wonderful. And then text to some of the video stuff or the image to video stuff is happening as well. But just on Midjourney itself, is an interface that you use, which is really weird. It's called Discord, which is like a like a chat room. Let's just call it. It's like an old school chat room in my BB chat room, uh, but it's just a, an app that you use. So you do all that text prompting in there and it kind of kicks back the images. But the images are quite stunning and whatever you can imagine, like a blue fish uh, swimming through a cloud.
3: Yeah.
0: If you wanted that, that's the way you, and it will spit back that in Pixar style. So you want it to style thing, or in a, you know, a Rembrandt style or whatever. It's up to you what you prompted. It's only, it's, does nothing without a prompting. So, so that's what I've been playing with. So it'd be fascinating to kind of hear and go deeper, maybe <laughs> a, little <laughs> bit, yeah. and a little bit, a little bit, on kind of what you've explored and what you've discovered and all that. But in terms of just how would you summarise your experience up until now, are you surprised as I am and dazzled by it as I am? Or are you like... Yeah,
1: on, on a daily basis. Right. So, yeah. there... Uh, uh, y- what what you can expose through the chat interface, the mm-hmm. GPT, um, that's way one way of accessing and uh-huh. working with the model. Uh, there are programming ways of um prompting okay right? yeah and there's a lot of just strange concepts like chain of thought right so you mm. can program gpt um and other models to follow a, a chain of reasoning mm. and if this thing doesn't doesn't, this yeah. thing right um and when you get it right, it's spooky.
0: Right, spooky. what it spits back then.
1: Yeah, like even, even in the field of your own expertise, you can make it expert to your level.
0: Right, that's the strange and wonderful things. But it still needs to be double checked, right? And you still need to have an expert involved in it yeah. to know that what is spitting back is true, yeah. in inverted commas.
1: But you can do that in your chain of thought, right? Right, so can, of course. You can say, um, sorry to give you, I can't, I can't t- talk too much course, about the yeah. film stuff because that's yeah, yeah. But um, I was talking with a lawyer mm-hmm. and, and they said at the moment the law library uh, in Wellington is being peppered with uh, references, mm-hmm. people wanting to get at articles and things that just don't exist because GPT is just making them up.
2: Oh, fascinating. Are
1: hallucinating these names, and they're highly plausible. That's the thing about GPT is when it hallucinates and just goes off on some bonkers place. Yeah. It's, pl- it's highly plausible. that's its job. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's like it's just plausible until <laughs> it's, the ghost it's, of the machine, it's, right there. It, yeah, yeah. And so you, but what you can do is say, well, yeah, that's that's at the horizon of hallucination. Mm-hmm. So at that point, and your whatever programming methodology you're using you can say well go and check them go and look them up on google yeah. and mm-hmm. if they're not real
0: yeah do something else right and it's that referencing attribution that people miss out a lot as i understand it on chat gtp and there then that's just a text interface for your brain Um it's that they're not double checking the references well, they're not asking even for references or value yeah
1: yeah if you're just if you're just working through the chat yeah. interface then you don't have all that automation you can bring to it
0: yeah like i i went on there recently and i asked it to look at my website and i just said because you can do it. just have a look at that give me a, rev- a review you know what do you think about it and apparently i'm a scottish guy named john yeah. johnston who writes about branding and other stuff and i'm like no but thank you uh how did he even get there i'm like it's just making stuff up
3: yeah,
0: yeah. and I, but it's correlative I, I get it's probably got a celtic thing in there maybe a yeah, local, yeah. and it's got a, maybe an accent thing and it doesn't know welsh accents might know Scottish better mm. so where is it kind of coming but the name thing don't know where that came from it's
1: so smooth and plausible
0: yeah and it's this this um, horizon yeah. of just where it
1: stops being real yeah. and it just starts plausibly hallucinating.
2: And then how much in your space is there the opportunity in the hallucination to actually explore that out further and see where it yeah. takes you for creativity? Yeah, yeah.
1: And that's what we're finding in the filmmaking process mm. is, uh, I mean, we call it, we, we make up terms, right, because there are none, uh, but we call it human in the loop, creative processes. So uh, if you've got a, a human mind creative mind um y- you can collaborate with the ai with the ai offering up creative options you say do this line five ways and then the human go oh, they're all a bit better but that that good
3: mm. right.
1: um, and then you go around again and again and again yep. um, another thing that it's really good at is for you to say, give me 50 examples of um, uh, uh, different uh, policemen. Mm -hmm. And then you say, that one. That's the one I've got got in mind. That's the the one. And then you say, well, take this policeman and um, apply 50 different photographic styles. Mm. And then you go, ah, there's that one and that one. So that, that's what I've, that's sort of what I'm thinking. And then you can bring them together and then just iterate real, this really fast, accurate Mm. way as a creative. But if the moment, the moment you think you're gonna set your AI off to do amazing creative work and come mm. you know go for a coffee and come back <laughs> not it
0: awesome. falls over quickly doesn't it yeah it's terrible well there's something about the ai that i read recently which people know ai artificial inter- intelligence and what we're describing here in the creative realm i really like the guy called james buckhouse who's been involved in film and stuff like that but he wrote it ai for him is augmented imagination
1: yeah that's nice isn't that yeah, cool yeah, yeah. it yeah.
0: augments but augment what is possible. And especially the mid-journey and some other stuff which is much more visual. But equally, you can go to ChatGTP and say, come up with five different business ideas with 100 bucks, but within this realm, only doing this, this, and this. You've got to give them all the caveats, right? But then they'll spit back like five things uh, and only to use the color pink, right, for some reason. And they'll spit back all within the constraints and... Constraints liberate your imagination, as Jürgen Leith once said, another designer. So you, you get kind of inspired by the possibility of something you you didn't, couldn't have thought yourself, but it's augmented the imaginative approach that you've already started with. But you've got to plug it in first. I mean, yeah, you yeah, yeah. got to kick start it.
2: Yeah, It made it so much more efficient. I played around with it over the weekend for a friend's 50th birthday. I've been asked to send in a poem or you know some something okay. to celebrate. And I was like, okay, I'm just gonna put in a whole lot of information about her and the fact that it's her 50th and some things I wanna say and get it to spit out a poem. And it spit out a poem and it's like, oh nah, that doesn't sound like her. Okay, now try a haiku, now try a riddle, now try and just yeah. got it to try all those different things. But I love the way that you're talking about it, that you can just go in once and go, Give me 50 different versions of a poem and then I can choose the one that's feeling right. Yeah, yeah.
0: Fascinating. Mm. Yeah, because you could, but in the style of, right, or you could have Mm. fed it your stuff first. Yeah. Which I'm sure you're playing around with, you know, feed it content first. And i say now in the style of now your words, maybe spit it back to me. Mm. Fascinating, right? So I'm sure we'll come back, but I just want to give some air and time. How would you answer the question to people about what you spending your time doing in in the world of work?
2: In the world of work, I'm um, doing a few different things. Um, Seems to be the thing these days, doesn't it, to be um, not just doing one thing. Um, My main thing which I started a few years ago is the Good Registry, which is a gift platform with no gifts. It's about reducing waste and helping good causes by um, replacing the physical gifts with charity donations. And that came from a place of my deeply ingrained um, sense of wanting to make a contribution and looking for a way that I could make a contribution contribution and enable others to make a contribution to amplify that. So I do that um, for about a couple of days a week now and then alongside that I do some communications consulting and again I make sure that that's very much stuff that's aligned with my values and my heart so consulting on things like climate change and the environment and social well-being. I'm working at the moment on a pay equity claim for people who do care and support work who are dreadfully, dreadfully underpaid in Aotearoa. Um, And yeah, I've been doing some work around climate change as well.
0: So the Good Registry, give us a sense of scale. When did you start that and how how it all works, I suppose?
2: Uh, We started it, me and two of my very good friends about Coming up for six years ago, I left my job at Z Energy, where I'd been the community manager there. It'd been a great opportunity to be in a corporate environment using a corporate budget to um, make positive change in the world. But I'd reached a point where I was like wanting to expand out to what I could possibly do that was beyond the restraints of working inside a corporate and the corporate strategy and corporate priorities. Um, So when I left I was like okay what can I what can I do that amplifies impact in the world and I was looking for ways that people already spend money that um, they could use that money to do something positive instead. Um, I was also taking a little bit of time out and while I was taking that time out I was decluttering my house and found all of those gifts, secret Santa gifts and complete junk that were still sitting in, gi- in, chair and, in drawers because I thought I might re-gift it to somebody at another secret Santa um, and there was a box of glasses underneath my stairs which I'd been given years and years ago and just kept it under the stairs because well I've got plenty of glasses but if they break these ones are here mm. whereas it's like they're just collecting dust under the stairs and I should just give them away and then go and buy glasses when I do break them. But once you've been given stuff, there's that tendency to to hoard, to keep um, to feel like you might as well keep it. Um, so I just thought I wish I'd never been given these gifts in the first place. Um, and then I had a birthday and my mum asked me what I wanted for my birthday and I did the answer that most people do, which is I don't want or need anything, but it's always helpful to add on. Well, if you must give me a gift, give me this. So I um, said, if you must give me a gift, then make me some homemade gloves, because um, my mum was a knitter. Yeah. But what turned up in a very big box um, in the post that had been overwrapped and overpacked packed was um, a pair of gloves that my mum had bought me at a department store which had mm. been made in China and they were gloves that I was never going to wear and I took them down to Courtney Place in Wellington and I gave them to a homeless person along with mm. a few other things in the house. Um, so I thought uh, there's something in the middle here, I could take out the middle man and just have mum's money go straight to good causes and then I'm not mm. getting the stuff I don't need and we can get money to charity. So that was where the idea came from. And that was in August of 2017, my birthday's in August. And my friends and I thought, yep, this is a great idea. Let's do it. And if we're gonna launch something, we're gonna do it straight away. And the time to launch a gift platform is for Christmas. Um, Makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. Um, We might as well do it this Christmas, not next Christmas. So we had a couple of months and built a website and onboarded 50 charities and set up a trust, got the trust. are uh, recognised as a trust in New Zealand, set up a company alongside that as part of a social enterprise structure and built a website and had it launched by November 2017. Um, we launched a product that wasn't quite the right product my theory had been that I wanted people to be able to create a registry if it was their birthday or their wedding or their Christmas and invite friends and family to donate to the charity that they'd chosen which is really really cool in situations like weddings or kids birthdays but it didn't work for people who wanted to use it for Christmas and that kind of thing Um, we had businesses saying how do we use this for our staff gifts or our customer gifts Um, so After that Christmas we also launched gift cards so I can give you a gift card and you can use that to redeem to any of the charities that you choose. So yes, six years on, we um, have kept it to 65 charity partners that we're supporting and we've raised $1.16 million for good, which is money that wouldn't have been in the philanthropic sector. Otherwise it was money that was being spent on stuff that people didn't want to need. I get so much joy when I hear about some of the gifts that might've been given otherwise. We had a um, major international company that was going to get lazy Susans made in China for all of their customers in New Zealand oh. and um, shipped to New Zealand. And they pulled the pin on that because there were um, supply delays and the coal powered factory um, that they were producing it was having trouble getting coal at the time. Um, so they came and um, replaced those gifts with our gift cards instead. And I just think all of the waste and the production of those Lazy Susans and the shipping and um, yeah, distribution yeah. of it, to give people a branded Lazy Susan, which who's really going to put um, a branded Lazy, Lazy Susan in the middle of their Christmas table with a company brand on it's weird
0: it. anything, but yeah, okay, yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah, and I'm just so happy that those kinds of gifts are getting replaced. We're not anti-gifts. Um, yeah. And I think there's a real place for gifts, especially young people who are starting out in life and need stuff for the house or yep. yeah. need a warm winter jacket. Um, and kids, you know, part of the celebration is to receive things. But we're also seeing really young kids that get a real kick out of being kaitiaki and, um, and just getting maybe one gift from mum and dad for their birthday. And then instead of a whole lot of kids coming to their party with a whole lot of junk, having those kids donate. Plastic. Yeah, yeah, so much plastic. <laughs> <and> <laughs> so much stress, I think, for parents because it's yeah. the parents that have to dash out the night before and try and find yeah, good point. a gift to buy, and then the parents of the child who's having the birthday—they've now got a whole lot of new junk in the house.
1: So much wrapping presents in the back of the yeah, in the car.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Endless. Yeah, trying to do the sellotape right and this on your face and stuff. <laughs> mm. but that's yeah. mad. Like sixty-five charities. On like, how, I had a question around how do you choose the charities? Like how do you manage them as well in that relationship of expectation? Because I know playing around with your website, you can just donate, but then you have a relationship with these charities as well. And I, I'm just wondering if you could talk like, how would you find them? How do you vet them? How do you decide? Because I can imagine a lot of people are sticking their hands up to be listed.
2: Yeah, absolutely. There's so much need in our charitable sector in New Zealand and there's a lot of competitiveness around fundraising. And I get an email probably every couple of days from another charity saying, I've seen your website, can we please be on it? Um, And we've gone for keeping it to 65 because um, we want to not overwhelm people with choice. There's too much choice in the world as it is. And when somebody comes to our website, to set up a registry or with a gift card to redeem. We want them to be able to see all of the charities on one page and you can take your $50 gift card and you can be like you're in a lolly shop and go, oh $5 there and there and there and there. Whereas if we had 200 charities or or more then you're having to go through Page after page to look at charities or enter into a search um, field, so keeping the ch- the choice to something manageable um, where people aren't overwhelmed, but also that there's enough breadth that if there's a cause that you care about, you can find um, that cause. So maybe not necessarily the specific charity that's in your neighbourhood, mm-hmm. but. If you care about, if you've got someone in your family with Alzheimer's or dementia, there's a charity there for that or asthma or anxiety. Um, If what you're passionate about is the environment or animals, then there are causes there um, for that. And what we'll often see is people who want to do a little bit of environment and a little bit of animals and a little bit of um, multiple sclerosis. Um, So the, the breadth um, is the important thing that people can see something there that resonates for them because we're replacing a gift for them. And one of the things that we'd seen that wasn't really, that was, that it was a good kind of step on the journey of changing people's behaviours But not quite the answer was a lot of businesses were starting to say that instead of giving gifts or instead of um, sending out Christmas cards to clients or staff, they had donated on their behalf. And here's the charity that we've donated to.
0: Yeah, it was already decided. yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And that just leaves the people who would have been used to receiving a gift completely out of the picture. And it's kind of like... Oh, okay. Whereas with the Good Registry, they get to come on with their gift card and they get to choose the charities that they care about. And there's an experience in that and it helps to create new givers. Um, And we've got one company that's given to their staff with us every year for, since we began. And they love hearing the stories from the people on their team about the charities that they supported and why they supported those charities and people who say, I wouldn't have had money at Christmas time to right. so donate to charity, but this has enabled me to do that and yeah. it feels bloody great.
1: And it seems like a way into initiating a habit yeah. of, of giving. Yeah. Which a lot of us don't have. So mm. having that. That way into it seems like a really lovely
2: Mm. thing to do. Yeah, even if it's my birthday and I've created a birthday registry, the fact that you come and you donate to my birthday registry and you might have been somebody that just never would have thought about donating to charity and you're like, okay, well, I was going to spend $50 on Christine and I've spent $50 on this charity that she cares about instead. And gosh, it actually felt really, really good and it was easier than going to the shop. And I feel like I've done something good in the world. And I think
1: okay. I'll do it now habitually.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Which is probably something you're not able to track. But it's another we, benefit.
2: Yeah, we've heard anecdotal stories. Um, we've heard um, people who have gone and started volunteering for charities after right. donating to them on yeah. the Good Registry. Um, good Bitches Baking is one that I know that people have found through the Good Registry and thought that sounds really cool and gone away and found out about it and started becoming bakers um, mm-hmm. for, for them. Um, I've also heard uh, stories, there was one one person who got in touch who has a child with autism and never knew that there was the kind of um, services available through Autism New Zealand that they could access and they'd seen them on the Good Registry and then gone away and started accessing the services. So there's that benefit as well as people realise what's out there that can help them if they need help.
0: Mm. Because we're also a little bit overburdened by the idea of charity in terms of what's, I suppose as an individual you hear so many stories of need mm. out there. And we've yeah. all been hit with different charitable messaging. Comes back to your communications, I suppose. And we you know, the big one was the the nineteen eighties and when the famine in Africa and all that. That was the big birth really of the charitable communication messaging and there was big of big discuss, discussions back then about showing the suffering versus not just talking about it and how much that created a sense of arc togetherness and, and thing. But now we've kind of see that day to day in our news and everything else. So charities have to think differently about communication. Could you speak to anything around that as well? Because obviously with your communications hat, you probably bring a different way to tell stories around the charitable sector. What is the good and bad out there of charities telling the right stories in the right way?
2: Mm, part of it is that people do just want to not see the person on the street with the bucket right, anymore. Yeah. It's like, I've, I've, I don't have the money to give, so I'm going to turn away from them and yeah. pretend I haven't seen them. Um, or I just gave to that charity that was collecting yesterday and I can't give to all of them. And there are the people who do grow up with it and built in them, that they are philanthropic people and they've chosen their charities and they'll continue to give to their charities. So that money that's in the philanthropic sector is pretty much exhausted. Mm. And then we've also seen over the last few years that the typical ways of fundraising, like the Street Appeals, they haven't been able to do them during COVID. So many charity events like marathons and that kind of thing were cancelled because of COVID and then charities had so many extra costs as well in terms of the pivots that they had to make, like everyone else and putting staff working from home. So they've been really struggling to find new ways to to make money. So what we've been thinking about doing is how do you bring new people into that experience mm. of charitable giving people who were spending the money on something else and might not you know they may not actually ever come back to give to charities in future, but at least they've had this one experience of, not spending money on stuff and spending it on charity instead and that's a kind of second side of our co puppet which is so so important is the reducing waste as well as the charitable impact that we're having Um, and then in terms of the inspiring people to give it is um, really powerful I think to show people the impact that $10 can have that $20 can have that you could spend $10 on a coffee um, or that $10 could feed five families today or it could feed five dogs who are in a rescue if you care more about, um, if you you know connect really deeply with animals. So if you can see the impact that that money that you have, it doesn't feel like much because people often are like, well, you know, $10, it's not going to make a difference. I don't want to create a registry for my birthday because only three people ever give me gifts. Well, you know, that's still maybe $30 or $90 that could have a really big impact um, for a charity. or. The company that gives um, all of its customers just a ten dollars gift card from the Good Registry for Christmas—that ten dollars can actually have a really massive impact for right. our family or some families, and for those charities, it's new people that are hearing about them and connecting with them as well.
1: Mm. This is a sort of like the meta crisis. Like everything, oh, mm. all, oh, and, and there's a paralysis, right? What do you mm. do, like? you do Mm. and i just thought it was look at looking at the website which is beautifully done by the way congratulations
2: thank you we had a fabulous brand (laughs) person um who was just a friend who um whipped that up for us out of kindness
1: nice yeah i saw him that's like it's good work um Mm -hmm. but and and, and that paralysis being able to just be able to do something Mm. and do a thing Mm. 30 bucks there sort of loosens up that that paralysis a lot but doesn't I can do stuff, I can I can do things, I can
2: Yeah and people are looking for things to do we saw that again when people were stuck at home with COVID, and a lot of people were doing it hard and then there were also a lot of people who were still on full pay and they weren't spending all the money that they normally spend on their commute and their coffees and, and going out for lunch and going out for dinner and they actually had more money than they would normally have so we did a quick kind of turnaround during COVID to set up a page on our website which was if you are one of those people that has a little bit more money to spend and you're saving some money on your commute or your coffee then you know how about dropping that $10 today into one of these charities so it takes away the what can I possibly do to okay well here's something simple it's about keeping it simple.
0: Are you finding any trends uh, occurring not just I suppose in the types of charitable donations but also like amounts and demographically and regionally is there weird things that you've discovered after you know five six years of doing this uh, and you're like wow i didn't realize that aucklanders love that so much and they contribute is there anything like that you can
2: um i don't know like who so so the trends that we see are women are the big givers right okay. um, much 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 more women who are buying and giving our gift cards um and setting up and um, using and giving to our registries. Um, that's possibly got two parts to it. We know through research in the charitable sector that women generally are um, the biggest um, givers, um, but we also know that in a lot of households, women are the ones who are st- um, still and, and have in the past and there's still a little bit of that hangover, making the decisions, buying the gifts for friends and family. Um, so we're seeing a lot of women. We started out with a lot of it being in Wellington um, because we're in Wellington and we don't have a marketing budget. And the way that people were getting to hear about us was through word of mouth and um, what I was doing on LinkedIn and, and the people that I knew and the people that my co-founders knew. So we had this real bubble in Wellington. And I got so excited when sort of two years, three years later, it was like, here's a name I've never heard of before and they're in Auckland, so how do they hear about us we're also seeing the real trickle through from corporates that give their staff or their clients the gift cards and then you can see that in that area um, there's something starting to happen so in Toronga there's a um, business that sends Um, a couple of hundred clients each Christmas a $10 gift card, not a huge amount, but we've seen this real bubble happening in Tauranga because people have been exposed through that business, so quite a few other businesses that have received that, so they're a corporate office space company, Um, so they've given to others that they provided corporate office kind of um, equipment to, and those businesses are now using us, and then the staff who work in those businesses are now using us, so there's that beautiful ripple effect, which is so much of what we're about is we we can't put that well we've had some fantastic um support from marketers who have given us free billboard space and free marketing space but otherwise we we can't advertise so we need those ripples to mm. carry it out Makes sense. yeah um do you think there's been a
1: like a sea change in our culture to do with stuff yeah since covert yeah Because we had to hang out with our stuff all the time <laughs> yeah. And point, yeah
2: yeah it's there yeah Yes. Uh,
1: ugh, draws <laughs> uh, yeah. is, do you think, do you think it's a culture?
2: I think it's still starting. I'm hoping it's still just starting. So the sea change is there. I think that when we launched the Good Registry, we were a little bit ahead of the wave. So it was cool that we were there to ride on the wave as it started to come through. But when we launched, people were like, why would you do this this is uncomfortable and gifting is such a kind of part of our culture but people did go into lockdown and say no no we don't want more stuff please don't give us more stuff and see us as a solution to that and then the other part of the sea change is the climate and environment sea change that it's just absolutely ridiculous that we would celebrate a child's birthday party by giving the child a whole lot of stuff that they don't need and they're never going to play with and it's going to be broken and end up in landfill really, really quickly when what you've done is you've taken resources from the planet that the child, you know, in terms of thinking about the child's lifetime and what's ahead, let's not steal their resources so that we feel good about celebrating their birthday by giving them something cute that's going to break. And it's the same in the business world that businesses have to walk the talk on sustainability. And if they're saying that they are committed to being part of the solution and every business has to be now, then it's an absolute nonsense to be getting lazy Susans made in a coal-powered factory in China and shipped to New Zealand and sending those out to clients or pieces of plastic intact that nobody's ever going to use when you could be signalling with that money that you really do care about the environment and the community yeah. instead. So those two things are working side by side at the sense that none of us want, we don't want more stuff. We know there are people who need stuff and actually, instead of me getting things I don't want or need, wouldn't it be wonderful if that money could go to the people who really are in need? Um, And also, I don't want to take from the planet's resources for stuff that I don't need and I don't want people giving me stuff that I don't need if it's taking from the planet's resources.
0: Yeah, fascinating. Great arguments there, boom. Thanks. it's almost like you're a communication professional
2: almost almost but there's a very very big difference i've discovered between being a communications professional and a marketing professional and i okay. still i still struggle really hard to um to do the one-liners yeah. um mm. yeah to, to do Self. that yeah yeah i still really struggle with that
0: totally it's an art right brevity mm. it's a skill to nail it um, How's
1: your relationship with stuff
3: mm.
0: Well, it's interesting when you were talking about trends and, you know, the COVID situation, like previous to that, when I was still living in Wales, I got into the whole minimalistic right. kick. And I remember starting a blog. Called, remember, Do you remember there was like a project schematic of like doing something for 100 days out there? And that would yeah. then that be like a yeah. hobby? You pick up yes. something just for a hundred days. Yeah. Well, I did minimalism in a hundred days. So I'm, mm-hmm. over a hundred days, just minimalized my whole life as best as I could. And I blogged about it. And I did do the classic. I have a draw. How long does this take me? And I just accrued the amount of hours. And I did my whole wardrobe put it all out on one thing. I realized I had fifty three t shirts. <laughs>
3: I'm like,
0: I'm never why you know I could wear one for like nearly two months and it's just like different one every and like, I only wear six really. So mm. It's just like, boom, get rid of everything. And I've never stopped. So mm-hmm. my relationship with staff is very much like, well, you were describing, don't buy me anything. I've never been, a, I'm, I'm an awkward receiver of gifts. It's like, uh, and that comes from my mom because my mom is is terrible at receiving gifts and she's also the most bluntest woman I know. <laughs> so if she opens something and she doesn't like it, she will <laughs> both tell you, or doesn't want it, they'll be like, what'd you get me that for? Can I have her as a friend? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> she's awesome. Yeah. And for years, we haven't bought each other gifts because of that, we understand each other versus someone like my dad, who feels like he has to give a gift every mm. time. And I get it, I, it's in him, right? So it, it's lovely. The intent is there, but I'm like, I don't need anything. So minimalism was a big thing that kicked into my idea years ago and the idea then, the relationship with stuff. I don't have a lot of stuff. And I have people come around even, well, when I used to live in other places, like, when are you moving in? I'm like, no, aunt, this is what I need. So you didn't even have a TV. I know, it's great, isn't it? It's like, I don't need stuff. I got all I need. Mm. I have a very healthy relationship with not receiving things and not buying stuff. Cool.
2: And what a relief it is, isn't it?
0: It is a relief. Yeah, you're mm. right. Yeah, and I still think I got too much stuff. I want to get rid of things. Yeah. Especially when it comes to technology, it's the only thing I will. Yeah. Play with. Yeah. I'll buy like a camera or a new mic or a new keyboard or stuff like that. That's probably my only. Yeah. Like I got three laptops in the house. I don't need three laptops, right?
1: Like I I had in the house, a Google Home.
0: And right. So you got and Google and Assistant. Yeah, you, know,
1: you can say set the lights to.
0: Right. Okay, so I you like got all pre- that plugged in,
1: in, right? Do the thing, and then like a smartwatch, and mm-hmm. uh, and I don't know, like six months and like a year ago, mm-hmm. I just started hating it. Oh, I started like hating it. And
0: Why? What was the what the change for you?
1: I don't know. Huh. I just started hating it. Like, so I I just took it all and put it in the bin. And
2: so, Literally like, in the bin.
1: Yeah. Oh so no. no. No, I took, I recycled it.
0: Yeah. Um, but you kicked it analog. You've now yeah, got to go up and turn on a light like this.
3: Yeah. Have you got mm-hmm. an phone? Yeah,
1: I don't, but I really, I keep looking for just the right dumb phone. Yeah. Well, um, I got like $20 watch, mm-hmm. got rid of the Garmin. And right. I, and I just, it was just a release mm. from, from all this stuff the excessiveness
2: of the Garmin of like, how many steps have I done today? And yeah. what was my heart rate? And Obviously, did I go further than um, yesterday?
1: Mm. Yeah. So I just sort of, I mean, with the watch, I just sort of trusted how I felt yeah. a bit more
2: mm.
0: rather than needing data.
3: Mm.
0: <laughs> I just think, I've got a couple of questions. like Did this happen around the time when you put that post up about I'm done with? Mm. No, no,
1: that, that was, was earlier. Pretty... Oh, okay, that was earlier. cool, cool. I mean, a little bit more context is that... So what happened around about there, So I, I went on my first. So I, I'm a, belong to a Zen Buddhist, cool. um. Sangha group, school, here in Wellington, and I went on my first retreat. Mm-hmm. It's called a Sashin, four day silent retreat. Wow. Um, and you do that. It's kind of, trans I just mm-hmm. just changes. And I got back and. I just had this change in me, in my relationship with technology. Mm. And, and, and like I kind of and stuff a bit, mm-hmm. um, but mostly with technology. So there was that. It um, was massive. Yeah. And the other thing I started doing was training uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Mm. And going three times a week and wrestling mm-hmm. hard out. An hour, it gives you a different relationship with your body and yeah. with with reality, and, and you know, you're, you're it's yeah. very real. You know, someone's trying to break your limb, or mm hmm, or,
0: or chalk choke you, you out. unconscious, or something.
1: Yeah, it's incredibly fun. It. <laughs>
3: um,
1: but yeah, it changed very, very, very much changed my relationship with right. technology,
0: really. and that must be an identity thing, though, as well, because you for looking at your history, obviously being the tech lead on things always, right? The technology lead in so many areas and disciplines. And then suddenly after having to get to a point where going, no, oh, I'm gonna change my relationship. So what is it now then? Like it was obviously at the forefront for so long. So when you say it's changed, how would you describe now your relationship with tech? With technology? Tech.
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I find most of the web Mm-hmm. to be in incredibly bad faith. Mm-hmm. Mm. Like it's trying to nudge you. It's trying to trip you up. It's trying to mess with your attention. It's trying to yeah. mess with your social relationships and what mm-hmm. you care about. And it's all in bad faith. Mm. Mm. Right? It's, it's, it's mostly commercial organisations trying to just get a commercial outcome for themselves. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so I, mean, I almost like I, I got rid of Facebook. Don't Facebook, mm. LinkedIn a bit, mm-hmm. Instagram's just a mess now. So re- really, my only social media is Instagram. Okay. okay. Now,
0: um, but because I have gone through a similar experience in the last kind of ten years. Because previous to that, I was all jazz hands about yeah. web. I, I was thinking it was the best thing to slice bread. And I was teaching people, building capability in organizations, like literally running courses and how to blog and podcast and and leverage the web as community cohesiveness and all these mm. buzzwords. So I, because I did, I, I was doing it myself. So I, I was walking a talk. Yeah. You know, I was definitely into it. And I've been blogging since 2000, podcasting in 2006, my first early, you know. So I've been doing this stuff. But like you, had that kind of uncomfortableness of like, ooh, now it's gone that way, now it's gone and it's just the commodification of your activity online and through the devices we have is a nudge theory effort of just commercialising everything. You're right.
3: Mm-hmm. It
0: just never sat right with me. So for the last couple of years I've been trying to like go the other way and see technologies as a blunt instrument. Right. Rather than a, a nuanced scalpel. Right, which i thought it was it was beautiful it could create and it can still don't get me wrong but it's well, like no we've got a perfect object example
1: there of, of how it you know can still ethically mm-hmm. be conducted in an entirely different way right yes mm. it's just not most of it
0: the signal to noise though like yeah. that's a signal to me what you're doing but the noise so the clutter Of technology and online efforts is not what you're doing. You're the you're the signal. This is brilliant. This is what was designed for, actually. and
2: we need people to find the signal so that's part of my challenge is Mm. i had also taken myself off facebook i um, was one of those people that had noticed that once i started i couldn't quite get out and i'd be on Mm. there for 40 minutes following rabbit holes so i thought okay new year's resolution i'm gonna check facebook once a month and do one post a month in the first couple of months i was hanging out for that day the end of the month when i got to go on and see what had been happening and then by march i stopped um, i stopped going on and then when you have a business page on Facebook, of course you need to have a personal profile and that's kind of meant that, and I I still just go and look at the first couple of things in my feed and go like, like, and then carry on to my business page. Um, Mm -hmm. but But I, as much as I, Um, think that there's a, I'm surprised that people are still on there. I still need to be there to get the word out about the thing that we've created that can have a positive effect in the world. Or we sit back and just wait for the ripple effect of people receiving cards and redeeming them. But it feels like I just want to try and speed things up, especially in LinkedIn where there's so many corporates that can, you know, benefit from seeing that there's an alternative to the gifts that they're giving.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But what you were saying about earlier on about cutting through um, and how the network effect happens when a a business gets Mm. involved and it almost uh, diffuses the idea across multiple centers of influence and -hmm. then more people get involved from that. But that's a real world thing, but it comes back to a digital offer, I suppose, or interface in terms of what it needs to do. So there's opportunities there to think, well, the diffusion is, is the good bit. And that's what we want to maximize, but that's a Mm. real life thing. So our efforts online might create that, but the catalyst for it is always the person and the distribution. So it'd be interesting to see if you double down your efforts away from digital and into the real life manifest, like what would a network effect online if you did something in a communication tactic or something, look like in a real world, maybe personal letters, Mm. maybe sending some doing Buy an old school Polaroid and take some photos unless you're sending people photos rather than yeah. attaching it to an email and stuff and write a little personal message. Yeah. All those things would cut through the, the noise, wouldn't it? It'll become signal. I'm just spitballing you reacting yeah. about what I'm hearing around the table, but it's fascinating, right? That we're all sitting here going, yeah, we've kind of changed our ideas yeah. a lot.
1: And so another, another signal. Yeah. So in
0: the Jitsu club,
1: mm-hmm. it's a big floor. Um, it's no slight it's seething mm. seething with people can't fit mm. no more like people in there to wrestle mm. um and i'm i'm singing in a men's choir uh and that's full
3: people are hungry
1: like people uh there's this feels like there's been this city change around stuff mm. and going doing things in person, in the real world, in the physical world, yeah. we want and
2: offline experiences offline again.
1: Experiences, yeah, yeah, it's a good tune. So yeah. yeah, so there's been. I think for me, there was sort of some personal mm. triggers, but I, I guess I'm speculating, throwing out the question. You know, are are we just in the middle of some sort of salt cultural moment? which could go off, spin uh, off, off in any direction. Mm. But, you know, those are a few signals that I'm finding incredibly encouraging.
0: Uh, yeah, I got to agree. And coming back to your AI stuff, people obviously have talked for years about the singularity, which is the conversions points where technology and humanity meets and now humanity kind of falls away and technology becomes the converse uh, um, and, and leading thing on this planet and stuff like that, the singularity of it all. And I think what you're describing is a human centered um, kind of revelation that we maybe have got bored by our cleverness of what we can create with the technology and stuff. And we're realizing actually we're built to connect, we're built mm. to experience. And uh, I did a, a I was emceeing an online event a, a couple of days ago, and we had a, an architect talk about her work, and she talked about it. Uh, and quoted and I quoted and I was like that's beautiful the parallax of experience that's how she described her work the parallax of experience but an architectural thing And I, I took that and I was like actually that describes a lot of what's going on at the moment there's different shifts in perspectives that's the parallax mm. Mm. yeah but it's down to real life experience yeah a lot of people are hungry again to get out there and pressing the palms
2: We're all of a similar age, so we had that real experience when we were growing up for our first kind of 15 years before we were were all starting to get glued to technology. What are you seeing in the next generation though? Are they looking to go back to something they never experienced?
1: So I've got two boys, Mm. 10 and 13. And there was a point a few years ago where we, we're, we're all uh, deeply screen addicted mm. and when I set out to change that there was almost nothing to reach for like what do you do mm. what, what do you do because the way the kids felt was that life this was the thing that you did you had to endure between getting to the next screen wow that's intense that's how it felt that's how family life felt yeah and that wasn't something that I could I needed to change it I had to change it and the way I found to change it was uh so we we all picked up musical instruments Mm. so Jamesy was on the drums and Henry was on the trumpet and I can, I, can, I can retroactively fit a theory to this. So I'll do the theory. So the theory is this, is, is that this is a theory of screen addiction, which mm. I'm sure isn't completely true, but it's really helpful, which is that computer games, YouTube, stuff is incredibly good at inducing the flow state. Mm. So the conditions for the flow state are you've got to have a bit of a challenge. Right, so the right level of challenge. You've got to get immediate feedback on what you're doing, um, and you've got to know what what you've done right or wrong. Right. So it's like a like a you know, challenge where you're succeeding, but eighty percent of the time it's still hard. Mm-hmm. Right. And you're enjoying it for its own sake. Mm-hmm. So you're doing it for itself. Um, and computer games are just incredibly good at doing that, that's, that's how they work, that's how they function. They get you into flow state mm. and then they can manage the level of challenge mm. and then you're getting all the feedback all of the time and you know, you're just in it. And in the flow state, it's sort of an optimised state of consciousness for learning. Mm. So you're sucking in all of this learning and in a computer game, none of that transfers into real life. So you may learn the boss fight and do the thing, like you, when you go and make your breakfast. It doesn't, it doesn't transfer. Like knowing mm. how to beat the boss doesn't help you, you know, make an omelette. <laughs> yeah. And so there, you it sets up this cycle of you doing all this amazing learning in this optimized flow state in an environment, which doesn't transfer into real life. Mm. So you go into real life and it's, oh, it's just a bit shit and grey, right? It's just. Uh, and so you go back and, and then that's vivid and amazing, you learn stuff and you're really good at it and then you go back into real life and oh, that's, ugh, okay. ugh. So you, you sort of get into this vicious cycle. So what, what I sort of figured out was the counteractive cycle to that yeah. was get really good at inducing flow state mm. in the real life, mm. in the real life, in real life, right? So that's learning a musical instrument.
0: Definitely. And it's is
1: hard, it? right? Because you've got to sit there and say, oh, I've got to do this thing, and, mm. and I've got to. F- I've, the first thing I'm going to do is match what I'm attempting mm. with what I can do. Mm-hmm. Right? So you've got to teach yourself or your kiddo, you know. Yes. Don't. So what can you do comfortably? I can do. Dun, 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 I can do that comfortably, right? Mm. And then how do I increase that level of challenge? Mm. So I can do it about 80% of the time. <inaudible> I got it. Yeah. And so what, what we did was to get really good at getting into the flow state in real life. Brilliant. And then that transfers, right? Because you've got, you've, got you've got to feel the thing and you do the thing. And so when you go, you know, you've got that little bit more coordination or spatial awareness. And so we're a few years down the track. OK. And I mean, screens are always in. <laughs> yeah.
3: Uh, pff, mm.
1: they're, they're amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've got so much more balance. Oh,
0: Screening now. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, so in answer to the question, what are kids relationships to technology and screens? Mm-hmm. Um, we got a problem. Yeah. We've got a problem. We really do. Mm. Which is one of the reasons that I'm, you know, thinking, well, I think maybe, maybe education's a better place for me.
0: Based on what your experience has been up until now, yeah, I think yeah. The, the key thing, I think, for most of us is having a good translator, you know, of experiences right. back. And education is just a trans, translation problem, right, that they're trying to fix because you're trying to have someone who's been there and done it and have knowledge and wisdom translate all that back into people who have no knowledge and wisdom and experience, right? Right. Mm. And you're the conduit for that in theory, like, and I remember like drawing years ago, uh, an equation for education, which is inverse to what life does because in school, what they go, you, you experience is you go somewhere, they teach you something, then they test you. And if you get that right, that equals education. Cool. But what life does, it doesn't teach you that way. It teaches you through experience. And the test is only at the end of that. Um, And the test is ongoing, sorry, not at the end. It's not at the Mm. end, it's ongoing. It tests you first, because can you handle this situation? Can you handle paying your taxes? Can you handle interacting with people you don't know in a diverse environment? It's like, right. And if you get that right, you then reflect and you think, ah, I've just been, had a bit of education and then that equals life right and that's the best educators in the world have been there done it right we all know that but it's also people who are also still learning and that's the thing that I think education has a big problem with is not knowing it's okay and especially with the flurry of new technologies and possibilities available just in that not even now if you go back 10 years and I remember coaching teachers on the emerging web and things like that you know, and they're just like, oh my god you can do that now and it's like yeah and it's just like that and that cool and it's like I don't know that so I've got, I mean, I've got a depth it's like it's all right not knowing I think that's the, the biggest challenge people are going to have and is not knowing is okay because um, it's, it's not a mountain to climb it's like a wave yeah. to catch mm. there's, Be-
1: a, there's a guy uh, John Kagan who's a developmental psychologist right. And he also does organisational stuff. Mm. And one of his things that he says is, we've got two jobs. So one is our jobs, and the other job is covering up for the stuff that we think we should know but don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the second job can become overwhelming. Mm. Right. And it's one of the benefits of age, I think. Yeah. For me, it's just I, just, I don't know that thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay know, now, sorry.
0: to know. Yeah, there's something about maturity in there, isn't there? About getting to the point where we're just going... I'm okay not knowing but what's worse is when I don't know and I know what I know and therefore that's enough like stasis is obviously the worst state you can be in like openness is there something there as well about the the kind of charitable psychology I'm interested in this too yeah like what's the psychological traits of philanthropy and can it here's the big question can it be created in others as you mentioned before some people have that just in them they're philanthropic by their nature but do you think there's some psychological tools and ways that you can turn dial up and down to create mm. conditions for people to be more charitable
2: maybe ai could answer that question better than <laughs> that's either. the next I'll question
0: pull out the gtp and- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe is that something you I don't know maybe i've stumped i can see you're like
2: yeah i'm stumped i think um there are some traits of givers and i think that that often it's something that is built into us in childhood and if we're all in front of our screens then it's not being built in but the other element of the good registry is that kaitiaki element and i do think that children Um, more than ever, are coming through with that sense that this world needs protecting and that there are actions that we can all take to protect it. So we're seeing children want to be kaitiaki and want to engage with the Good Registry as kaitiaki rather than just philanthropic. But then we also see children who know that they've got more than other kids, so they want to have our money go mm. to other kids instead of mm-hmm. on stuff for them. They know that they've got messy bedrooms, so they don't need more mess in their bedrooms. I think there's a different kind of brain evolving in mm. kids than what we had when we were growing up, which was very much a give me, give me brain um, where point, yeah. where you an abundance.
0: Let's be yeah. honest, we grew up in abundance.
2: Yeah, and we and we were given a lot of presents for our birthday and for Christmas and i don't know i I came to kind of count my gifts not kind of physically but look at what my brother's pile looked like and look at what my pile looked like and and want to be able to go to school and say i got a Mm. bike or i got um this thing and i think that we have now kind of layered that on to the next generation because i've seen adults say well we couldn't not give a child a birthday gift could we and it's like oh so we are deciding that that's what celebrating a birthday yeah. is and we're creating that expectation we create the
1: social norms around mm. and then like mm. dude like you do the presents but then there, this expectation came up that you'd do a like a gift bag mm. yeah so, and that for was, the people attending the party they you to have gifts to go away with so, yeah so that they so they felt like oh they give them the thing but they wouldn't feel better yeah, that's a
0: wrong cycle, isn't it? Yeah,
1: mm. I do think I do think that kids, of a certain age, mm-hmm. are just programmed genetically to be like just rapacious little assholes. <laughs> like, want <different laughs> stuff, <laughs> and there's that, like you can see you can see in a sense that that's uh, uh, evolutionary biology. Yeah, right. Yeah, because like Clip. if you if you're fighting Survive. with your ten other siblings mm. for a yep. scrap of meat that, that dad just threw over his shoulder, right, then you yeah. you know. That kind of, I've I've seen that, both. Yeah. Both both mine too. Fascinating, isn't it?
2: Um, Boys, see that's why women are more generous.
0: Oh. Maybe, maybe it's if you had girls, you wouldn't be saying that. Wouldn't that be Mm. interesting?
1: I've met girls.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I've met girls of that age. Yeah, equally as? In my experience. Okay, okay. Okay. Maybe in a subtly different way, maybe, I don't know.
2: Do they want to be seen as being good though? I think that Mm. there is some conditioning in girls that they want to be seen as being good, and some of that possibly plays through into adulthood of doing the right thing. Yeah.
0: Good point. Yeah. I want to touch on a point that you made earlier, just because I know we have people, and it's random but lovely to think about, that we have people who wouldn't know what kaitiaki means Mm. because they live on other parts of the globe.
2: Mm -hmm. Could
0: you describe that for us?
2: Mm, Kaitiaki is um, that the planet is what nurtures us and Mm. um, we have a responsibility to nurture the planet so that it's a reciprocal agreement between the earth and between humanity.
0: Mm. It's a beautiful Māori phrase, the Mm. te reo phrase. uh,
2: Yeah, we we don't own the earth.
0: Right, Mm. which is that protection of the earth as well.
2: Yeah, Yeah, and the earth protects us, it's two way.
0: Definitely. Go on.
2: You could go outside. That's what it's
1: like. There we go. You go outside. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's so, like that, that's, that's the universe. There's the sky. And there's yeah. It's like so wildly <laughs> mm. bigger than us. Yeah. Mm. Like, but
0: how it's do, that how you, exposure you, to it though, right? I had a friend visit uh, a lot, um, recently and we we were down in the Protected Skies region, down south, uh, Lake Takapo area, mm. yeah. and we drove out at night and pulled off, you know, made sure it was nice and thing, and we looked up. Now, my friend lives in a very urban centre in Europe, <laughs> so she'd never seen the Milky Way. Wow. But only in photos. So there was an experience that now she was having that she couldn't quite compute. Yeah. She was like... I didn't realize it was this fast. I didn't realize, and then we got into discussion because she would, because now she's ignited with curiosity. So, what is it again? Like she's seen it in photos and stuff, but she just thought it was the night sky. I'm like, well, that's basically our galaxy, really. What you're looking into is the spiral of the Milky Way, which is our gallery. And then we've got into whole discussion about like, I can't compute that. I was like, I know, I know it, just verbally, and but. I can visualize it so when, when we got back in the hotel obviously pulled up like I said basically that's the spiral we're there we're looking back into it so and we're on the other side of the globe so we're looking back into the spiral if you're in the northern hemisphere you look out into the spiral so we get a better milky way down here than other people do yeah. right so that was all trippy he's like what we're looking out in different areas of space we're like yeah because we're at the other ends of the planet and that's that exposure to that bigger idea, which most people don't even experience nowadays. Be madly curious about it, right, once yeah. you expose people to it.
1: and When you can take that in and you're prepared to know about it, Changes like, like Facebook.
0: Consciousness of, yeah, Facebook, yeah. yeah. Now mm-hmm. Facebook, mm-hmm. hmm. way out there. We do Hurtling through space. Yeah. And no one's got us. we just got each <laughs> other. Although I'm very much in the Ram Dash camp. You know Ram Dash, if you're into Zen mm-hmm. stuff, right? Yeah. You know, we're all walking each other home.
3: Mm-hmm. I
0: love that phrase from Ram Dass. And um, Peck mm-hmm.
3: then? what do you?
0: We're all walking each other home. Right? Ram Dass is a guy. Yeah, is a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, I don't have to do that. But uh, he said, it, and has been, you know, obviously quoted often. He's got other ones like, be here now and all that other stuff. But the, we're all walking each other home. Yep. Is the idea that we're all experiencing this yep. as, a, as a unitary kind of humanity. Global experience, uh, and we the idea of walking someone home is obviously around protection and kaitiaki again, a little bit mm. around that, but of, of an individual in a sense. So, if we all see each other as oh, yeah, I got to get you home yeah. safe, sound, yeah. yeah, like so your parents are happy at a good time yeah. and all that. If you imb- imbue that out to, to every interaction you have, it's a nice way of seeing the world. Yeah. We're all walking each other home. it's
2: interesting i'd always understood that slightly differently that we are always that we're all walking each other towards the end of our life journey yeah Yeah, that's how i would always understood it that maybe i
0: took it my own way
2: and that's the beautiful thing isn't it um and that the biggest experience that we will all have in life is our passing over mm. and that we're all whole our whole of life is preparing ourselves to be ready for that and here we are to support each other to make sure i never thought that about that
1: ready to... So that's, yeah that's sort of mm. i mean i guess part of the zen mm. way of well what it what it does insofar so far as it does anything but um yeah, that, that's what I thought, the idea, and the, and the home, like home, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like a destination of safety it and it's the place where you are known best for who you are.
0: Good point. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and nurtured and cult, cultivated, right? So yeah, it's just yeah. like, it's a nice place to end up. But and I love yeah. that. Interpretation. At the end
1: of your life, right? Isn't...
0: Yeah, that's lovely. Yeah. Have and, you got a, f- a philosophy that you draw upon a lot? Like that's one I go to a lot, especially when I'm pissed off with individuals. Because I'm, like, I'm walking their, them home as well. <laughs>
1: and Sometimes that could just be walking away.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or pointing, you, that's your way home. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to stand here and watch no, you walk know. home. Go. Right, because I'm not getting involved. But you know what I mean? It brings a bit of. Do you have similar kind of things that you draw upon?
2: Yeah, I've studied a lot of yoga in India and right. um with an incredible yoga master there in India. So in, you're in India. In now, India, in rishikesh, in rishikesh in the home of yoga. Um and um getting the teachings there in a really authentic setting um is super, super powerful. Mm. Um and the i actually, you know, last time I was there and I covered my notebook with these amazing insights and I came home and painted those insights onto a big bit of canvas and put them on the wall Um, and the main ones that I keep coming back to is that control your mind control your life everything that we experience is how we're interpreting what we experience that nothing's good nothing's bad our thinking makes the experience what it is so we can always just keep coming back to the dialogue that we're creating inside and change the dialogue to change our lives that is beautiful Thank you. Love Thank that. my yoga teacher for
0: that. Are you still yoga Yeah, I still do my yoga-ing. own practice. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. I've done
2: a little bit of teaching in the past. Right. Um, okay. And I think one of the things that I brought home from my last um, trip over, so I came back and I planned to start doing some mindfulness teaching and then was super sick for a couple of months and had to just rest. And I got to a place where I was like, actually, I think that the reason that I've done yoga is always to develop myself and to bring myself into the practice and the thinking of yoga and i don't need to teach it it's mm. given that the saying that i'm going to be a teacher gives you the opportunity to go to yoga teacher training courses But i just want to go to the yoga teacher training so i can <laughs> train myself yeah. so i think i've settled in much more to the fact that i'm my only student and um that the teachings are so that i can keep teaching myself It's a lovely inverse way yeah. of
0: thinking because i suppose that body-mind things while you're doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. In the one, of so. one of the jokes
1: is like, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is forced yoga.
3: Mm. Forced yoga.
1: That's not true. <laughs> it's actually, but it's also like <laughs> the Seniors. amount of proprioceptive stimulation yeah. just a being in your body, mm. uh, which is I think one of the, and certainly in Zen and sitting, when you're sitting for long times, mm. so, you know, it's painful. Yeah. It's real mm. hard. Yeah. You know, there's eight, ten hours sitting sometimes. So, um, not not at the time. It doesn't. That's, that's not like that. But uh, there, there's definitely, I think, an element of being made to come back into mm. your body because it hurts, or it, mm. <laughs> yeah. uh, or it's a challenge, or mm. um, and I, there's. A, I don't. I don't think that describes yoga at all. But I, I think probably it's a it's a facet
2: mm. of it. And there's the same element of the noticing the story in your mind about how uncomfortable you are and reminding yourself that the discomfort will pass. And Mm. when you get to those really blissful moments in the meditation, that will pass too, everything passes. And that we can just kind of sit with how things are and know that whatever is going past is temporary.
1: Pain's a thing. Yeah. Can be.
2: Yeah, but the mind makes it worse.
1: So one of the the metaphors in Zen, Mm -hmm. Because it's a weird, like, uh, it's a weird thing to do. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but if you, if like, so one of the metaphors is, is like putting a snake in a bamboo tube. Gotcha. And yeah. the snake sort of wriggles and pushes against the container. Uh, so that could, in Zen, that's the, you know, the sitting and the ritual and the practices. And in pushing against it, the snake finds out what it is. Mm. It finds out it's a snake <laughs> mm. it finds it, 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 Because it's resisting something yeah. So I think a, a, a lot of these practices Certainly true certain of Zen Is like being put Well you need to sit there And not move For yeah. this period of time Or do this thing Or,
0: or do this asana or
3: mm.
0: That's how you sort of find out Yeah wow, Something a Snake inside of I love that metaphor But also the learning from it, it sucks to being mm. a snake though no
1: snakes were harmed in the making of this. Yes, indeed. <laughs> in the making of the spiritual tradition.
0: <laughs>
2: Are you willing to talk any more about that? Um, so you said that you went away and you did your four-day silent um, retreat and came back super feeling, feeling like life, you, born, you were ready for a different kind of life, feeling like there'd been a transformation. Are you willing to talk any more about what that transformation was, what it felt like?
1: Yeah. So I mean, I've been meditating for a long time my like mindfulness and then yeah. I picked up the zen work study and I've been doing that sort of fairly rigorously for myself for a couple of years um but never been on a retreat
3: yeah.
1: uh and and that there's an element of like just sitting through the pain and discomfort and f- finding out through that so much just of who you are and what you are because <laughs> you've been in that container and your your mind's just like after a couple of days of silence and sitting right, your mind is doing all sorts of contortions it's like ah, you know go be you know go you know all those things all those stories all of those um, things that you've invented that, that make you you and mm-hmm. keep doing that thing and then after a point it quietens it does it does quiet right. it did for me and, for, and there's like there, there was one moment on it where I had the moment when you know, you see the face of god you live know, as oh mm-hmm. so you know, the whole fabric of the universe is just beauty and and concern mm-hmm. for, for for you and everything mm-hmm. and it's like it's it's like not it's not the goal mm-hmm. it just is a thing that mm-hmm. happened uh, but it was pretty freaking nice mm-hmm. and um i that's something a touchstone though I found I always go back to it. It was like right. that thing. And, you know, sure, it was a hallucination of, yeah. it was just a, a bubble of something coming up through my consciousness, but it was delicious and mm. good in a way that nothing else I've ever encountered Is that delicious or good, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. My yoga teacher always says, you know, you could go and do ayahuasca or LSD and you can get hits the same, you can get them quicker, but you'll never get something that sustains you as well. Right? Interesting. Bringing yourself there. Yeah, yeah. Mm.
0: Because yoga is a bit, has been used in these kind Mm. of practices of the mind as well as the body, right?
2: Yeah, they're, they're all integrated. So the practices of the mind are part of yoga.
0: Right. Have you ever kind of had any revelations when you've gone and done your teachings that you're okay to talk about?
2: Um, yeah, many, many. There's, wow. there, there are experiences in classes where we get taken to this place where the experience of life just feels like it's shifting. There, there are colours, there are visions, um, and there's the sense of love um, and realising that all we are is part of this big sense of love it's a very it's, very hard thing yeah, to yeah.
1: describe I, did, I broke my leg a few years ago mm-hmm. and like it was a couple of hours before the ambulance came by the time I got to the hospital my whole thing was buzzing. I was just ah was, I yeah. mean, they gave me fentanyl right? Uh, <laughs> and that was like 5% mm. of what the intensity of that experience wow was and that Mm. was pretty good yeah (laughs) but still not the thing i'm not getting to that thing i don't know is is that your your view like you don't you don't go chasing that because that Mm. you go chasing that you just you it's another addiction right it's
3: Mm.
2: yeah 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 and that's also part of that lesson of that everything is um is temporary and don't get attached to it so when you have that amazing experience where it's like wow that just felt incredible it's going to go you can't hold on to it and that's just going to be life you're going to have things and they're all going to be temporary whether it's good or bad
1: yeah and then you just go sit and it hurts (laughs) yeah you can't do that again for a bit Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs) yeah and you can't let your mind just kind of like attach to i hope if i sit here long enough i'll get that amazing experience again Um, right yeah it'll
0: be an expectation then yeah uh... Uh, a goal, which is and if the idea,
1: as soon is not you to have just start goals. doing it for a reason. Mm. You're not, you're not doing Zen; you're doing something else.
0: That's hard because we're messy creatures, right? Mm. We need stimulus and stimuli and, and goals and purpose and all these things. Uh, and you're going to probably say, "Do we? Do we yeah, from we a Zen we do. perspective? No, we do, but
1: like, we can't be too heavenly-minded. As soon as we're too heavenly-minded, yes. we're not doing any good in the world." Which is mm. sitting, yeah, it's the balance,
0: isn't it? Yeah. That's the key thing.
1: You've got to stay deeply rooted in the practice of doing the ethical thing in this yeah. world and that's always messy. It's always imprecise. You're it's always, always great it wrong. It's yeah. always yeah. Great, great. Ambiguous.
0: Yeah.
2: Part of the yoga is just taking the ego out of it. So you're doing it for the sensory um experience of knowing that you're doing the right thing of just feeling that that's what you're called to do rather than um the ego experience of wanting to be recognized for it wanting to um, yeah wanting to be someone because of the things that you're doing
0: because i remember i've been talking about ego mm. uh, having a discussion years ago with a, a philanthropic person yeah. in the states which have a, a very different approach to gifting shall we say mm. especially at the scale of like arts and you know education where people will gift millions but to have their name on the building mm. and shit like that. so that was the con- context of the discussion because we were talking about giving as a selfish act
2: yeah, and it is. Yeah,
0: and I got fascinated with that and they taught... It how's the a selfishness?
2: Because we get well, joy from giving. There you we know, go. Like I, I, so I, one of my first experiences of really feeling the selfishness of giving was I um, taught yoga for a while in Arohata Women's Prison and I'd go out there every Friday morning and I'd go in the gates and I'd have this incredible experience of going into the into the prison, feeling the different environment in there, being with the woman um, and... and they made me laugh and they made me feel, and they made me feel really, really good when they gave me feedback about how the yoga was um, was making a difference for them. And I would come out of that just with such a spring in my step and so glowing. And I'd go back to the office and people would say, oh, you're so good for what you do. And it's like, I am not, I'm doing it for me I'm 100%. I mean, I'm doing it for them, but I, I wouldn't be doing it if I was just doing it. For them there's such a joy in being able to make a difference and I think that whenever we give we are looking for something and I'm conscious that even with the Good Registry that people who are giving through the Good Registry they're looking for that moment of going "Oh, I feel like I'm a better person today because I did that and For some of our givers, particularly the corporates, I'm really, really conscious about shouting them out and recognising them on social media. Again, a purpose for social media um, to give them the validation so that they um, have some affirmation that, well, you know, we really got seen for doing this piece of good, so we will continue Mm. to do good. So even in business, I think there's an element of selfishness. Um, But it's a good
0: tension, that is. It feels like it's not a bad thing to get pleasure from a selfless, selfish act mm. be, be,
1: be tempted into goodness
0: yeah there we go it's not that my, could be a that could be your sitting. tagline mm.
3: but,
1: but that's what you want well that's yeah. like when things are going well right you're tempted into doing the right thing
0: yes be, cause it's because good. you can be addicted to doing good things right and that could be mm. an interesting <laughs> idea to play around with. Is, but tempted is, is into it a problem, to goodness i like go on. there's a problem i don't know
1: is, is there, yeah. if you're being tempted yeah into goodness and you're just doing lots of goodness and yeah. it's an addiction Isn't
2: I think it? if you're happy then yeah. there's no problem
0: <laughs> yeah I don't know uh, it's above my pay grade <laughs> yeah is there anything we haven't covered off I'm, I'm interested in credit space as as you're probably aware but also space that we you know, we've kind of gone divergent and it's been wonderful but I'm appreciative of, you might have come with ideas and thoughts and Questions that you had that you want to ask as well? So I'd like to say that out loud, so that why. Oh, yeah, there was a question I had.
2: More about AI. I could talk about AI.
1: AI. Yeah. Let's talk about AI and education a little bit.
2: Mm.
1: Um, So the other day, a 13-year-old was trying to do a bit of writing, and he was really struggling with... Taking a definition in his textbook, you know, he'd been given and then uh, stating it for himself in his own words. And so what we worked out was a process of identifying the keywords in the definition
3: Mm. Mm.
1: and then using his own language but using those keywords. Mm -hmm. And then he was able to do it but he needed to practice it. Right? Because you need to You've got, you can understand something in abstract, but you've got to know how to rehearse, practice yeah. doing it, right? Um, so, I, in half an hour, wrote a thing uh, which would just take a definition, would create a definition, and then say, what are the keywords? Pull out the keywords. And then right. mm. put them the keywords and so, yep, yeah, oh, that's them, uh, maybe this one's missing. And then it would say, Can you rewrite my definition using those keywords? Um, and James E. used this thing for a bit, and then he could do it. That's pretty meet right.
3: mm.
1: Um And that's something he's never been able to do.
0: Mm. And when you say you went away and wrote it, you used ChatGTP to help create that?
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I wrote something in Python. Mm. The right. a yeah. Lang Chain that okay. called the GPT API. Okay. So it's a little bit of those you know, chain of things that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so it seems to me that there are enormous, just taking that as an example, opportunities which are in grasp mm. now mm. in education in a sector which is struggling.
0: But you still needed that conduit, right? Which is you in this instance, mm. to understand and define, I suppose, the parameters of the problem, right? Interface yeah. with a potential solution set, and then present that back. Yeah. And I'm wondering if education is willing to be that mode. What you're going would. to have to be. Mm. Sorry. <laughs> no, exactly. But we <laughs> we're, were talking about education, yeah, and you saying, you know, yeah, that's what you used it for. How yep. many, I wonder how many schools and how many teachers straight away are, are thinking like that.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Challenging, right? I mean, you, you could take a curriculum. Mm. The whole thing, and, right? And then have a interface to it from teachers and say, well, can you help me structure a lesson for these kids who are mm-hmm. you know, at this level, mm. or needs to be broken up because I've got some here and here. Can you develop two lesson plans, help me do it, and they do that sort of... Yeah. Uh, human in the loop interaction with it um so you know to generate the lesson plan then the kids uh, do the work Mm. in relation again human in the loop to that curriculum ai and then get immediate talking about the flow state stuff Mm. before they get that immediate feedback they don't need to wait for it to be marked but then the human's going to have to do some of the marking right Mm. um but as as a means of uh, taking friction out of being a teacher, yeah, doing that stuff seems immensely yeah. powerful, and as an education tool, it seems immensely powerful. Yeah, um, and I don't think so. The risk the risk is if we if we as you know New Zealand leave North American companies to do this thing. Mm-hmm. Mm then what we will be setting up for our kids is a north american perspective yeah yeah on what it is to be a human being
2: yeah, yeah. we're we already need... seeing a male perspective
1: aren't we a white male perspective yeah. the biases yeah. are built in so we need to be doing that doing. by ourselves for yeah. ourselves right and so you're talking no about then
0: creating doing... an llm large learning model which is where all the data sits and what it pulls from mm. um of our own so data sovereignty, I suppose yeah. you're talking about the idea that we're creating a bank of data that we mm. are sovereign over
2: with all Māori perspectives in it, exactly. How so, would so that, that, be?
1: that it's, it's actually that's exactly mm. right. Mm. And if we don't do it,
0: then we will be at the behest of the mm. North Americans, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: It needs our values and our beliefs,
0: yeah. So, so it's
1: cultural sovereignty, mm. this, this is you. Like if you've sat down with GPT, is that exactly as you say, you know, the uh, patriarchal perspective mm. Mm. is woven into it because that's where it's learned, that's what it's been trained on. Mm.
0: And we've had people yeah. coming out from Google, haven't we, who've left it and said, because I've asked questions based on what we're just discussing. They're not prepared for it, so I'm, I'm done. You know, it's broken mm. already before we start. So let's fix it before we push it out into the world. And that's yeah. the big discussion at the moment around AI. You know, is it fit for purpose, really, in the more diverse questions that you ask? Or is yeah. there another form of, I hate to go to this word, but imperialism, the idea that it will just be a set values that you're trying to distribute to, to the world. Mm.
1: You know? Yeah. I think I mean, I've got slightly more scrappy perspective on it, which is cool. I just made it work for me and, yeah. my, and, and yeah. my family. And it's proven, right? Because yeah. you can d- do it. Do the stuff. It's boom. And, and like, yeah. And it's and also
0: amazingly uh, adept
1: We're a adaptable. country of four million people, let's be scrappy. Yeah. Yeah. Let's it's be not what scrappy. we've always done well. Sit around thinking about it and philosophizing about it. Yeah.
0: Again, so many taglines out of this, let's get scrappy. Yeah. That could be a New Zealand story, let's it's get scrappy. scrappy.
1: I, think, I think that was from George Clooney, actually. Is it? That's how he described himself. Scrappy. Scrappy.
0: Yeah, okay. With his gin and vodka and whatever that stuff he's doing, as well as being a superhero superstar. Yeah. I'm aware of time. We're coming up to an hour and a half. Time flies, right? Yeah, it's We're been just great. sitting around, chatting, shooting the shit. Yeah. Well, stuff. Is there anything that we haven't covered off, you thought?
2: No, I don't think so.
0: No? Well, I've got a juicy question to finish us said. Creative Welly is Courageous Conversations with Bold Humans. In terms of that courageous, I always like that word. What does courage look like in what you're doing in the world at the moment? Mm. Is that open as a question?
2: I'm gonna say leading with heart. Um, I think courage and heart are totally Mm -hmm. connected um, and yeah, it's the putting aside all of the, the risks and all of the things that we've been conditioned to think are important, like profitability and um, traditional definitions of success, and just doing what feels right and creating something like the Good Registry in the world because my heart wanted to do something and my heart wanted to have an impact. That's
0: well, it's pretty cool as an answer. Mm, thank you. How about you, Duncan?
1: It's like. this is is, I mean this is me being dad again (laughs) it needs to be a habit Mm. um so you know for me uh going and wrestling Mm. mostly 25 year olds as a 51 year old Mm. three times a week Mm. then going singing a mm-hmm. you know, solo, and then oh wow! Uh, you you're Welsh should be good at that stuff. <laughs> a on. Yeah. Um harp well, it's a daily thing, mm. and when you get in the habit of it, uh, you find you find that it has its own mm. its own momentum. Mm. Um, so yeah, courage for me is like a. It's not a a big concept it's it's a million little mm. moments of of bravery i'm do that
0: yeah it might
1: hurt or it might be embarrassing or i might get it wrong
0: or even getting into a car to drive mm. to those things and creating those micro habits yeah to get you to the point of doing yeah which we all aware of break it down micro
1: habits of courage
0: mm I was interested when you said about there to that exposure idea of you know going there and expose yourself to that and as an experience and that's something I when I'm coaching clients in the public speaking arena and, uh, a lot of people are saying oh yeah just practice 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 and I'm like no 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 don't do that <laughs> because if you practice public speaking you will fail at it because you can't practice public speaking because you can't practice being in front of 20, 800 people that you don't know with lights and a camera and, and mm. stuff. That, that's a situational exposure skill that you can yeah. only prepare for. So you can't practice, you prepare, you prepare for that it. experience. You prepare your content, you prepare how you're going to feel, yeah. you prepare how you're going to prepare like what you need to be the best version of yourself. In other words, do you know this it's a little lapel mic or a handheld mic? or a lectern mic, you need to know the conditions for your own success. You know, and that's when I lean into, especially some of my, my uh, clients, I, I give them permission to be divas uh, from a perspective of, no, I have stupid writers. You know, I want blue M&Ms mm-hmm. and stuff like that and only that type of water. No, no, but create the conditions for your own success. So if you don't do lecterns, like if i book me for speaking, I don't do lecterns, it says on my little writer. You know, so if you've only got a mic on the lectern, I need an extra mic and i don't mind a lapel or a handheld i can do that but most people don't know how to use a mm-hmm. handheld mic as well as so you got again if you're asking for it if you're giving that and you turned up and you practice your talk and then you thrust a, a handheld mic and you're like oh i'm a gesticulator mm-hmm. you know and this is not going to work now <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. so you got to create that So it's that exposure skill i think yeah. um that comes through in life very readily and. Public speaking is one of those things I always coach people, it's an exposure skill.
1: And it's a relational skill, isn't it? Because for that time you're there, it's about your relationship with.
0: Deeply, but that's where most people forget. So one of the things I coach people on is grace.
2: Mm.
0: Like it's such a soft word, but it's Mm. such a a hard word to get in terms of when you're delivering, the relationship you're talking about is gonna come from looking. Going to come from leaning in, having the right intonation in your tonality of things, and pausing, creating space and reflection, uh, having the right emotional cues in your face so th- that people know that, oh, he's being silly there, because I'm doing that, versus, no, this is a serious point. And some people are just scared like that, and they talk serious points. And it's just nerves. So you're mm-hmm. quite unsure as a relationship builder, and, you know, what are you building a relationship with, sorry, what you see unsure about how to emotionally react. So, all those things have nothing to do with what you're saying yet. It's everything to do with what you're saying with your physicality and stuff like that. So, if you're looking really nervous and shaky, I have an emotional response to that. When a yeah. relationship is mm. being built then through not pity, but certainly concern and compassion versus someone standing gracefully and confidently and straight away, I don't have any of that. It's so like, I'm right, I'm, now I'm listening.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I so got it. Yeah. It's a fun thing to trick. Because it's all a trick, in a sense. You can trick yourself if you hate it. You can still trick yourself into doing it well. Yeah, public speaking, I mean. Yeah, so it's, yeah. A, it's a weird and wonderful thing once you get your head around it. Yeah, good. Yeah, that's the Jelly mind tricks as well. These aren't the droids you're looking for. Um, Thank you for your time. Thank and you. And your stories and your energy today. Uh, hopefully you've enjoyed this.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. loved it. Good thank fun. You. Cool. Thank you, bye. Bye.
0: That was Creative Welly episode 46. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your attention. Thanks again to John O'Tucker, who produces the video podcast. This is the audio version, but check out John O'Tucker over at Empire Films. Thanks also to David at Flashdog Studios for hosting us as well. Keep having courageous conversations with bold humans. My name is DK, and I'll see you next time.